You may be seated. I'm humbled to be able to have the opportunity to speak to you tonight from this pulpit, especially to people that I love. Our nation's being turned upside down. People are suffering, and so many unprecedented trials or people are facing. Fears gripped our nation. If ever there's one thing our nation needs right now, church, it's hope. And a better way to say that is our nation needs Jesus because he is the hope of our nation. But let me say it even better than that because he's even bigger than that. He is the hope of the world. The world needs Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. Hallelujah. It's in times like this we must put our hope in Jesus and not in man. No matter what we've been through or what we'll go through. I just want to say that hope is still found here at the palace of praise because his presence is here. I want to talk to you about your hope. First of all, I guess I have to ask, does any of you in here still have hope in spite of the chaos in this world, all the chaos going on in your life? If so, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you people. Clap your hands. Shout with a voice of triumph. Amen? Hallelujah. I guess I must first address what hope is so we all understand what I'm talking about. Webster simply says hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness to his promises. It's believing if he said it, it will come to pass. See, for a believer, hope is based upon trusting the Lord. He is our hope. Hope is something you can have through Christ. It's also something you can lose. Have you lost hope? Due to the waiting or the longevity of your unpleasant circumstances, these uncertain times we're facing, many have. But you cannot lose hope in a time like this. Proverbs 13, 12, Solomon said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. No one likes waiting. It feels good to get what we want. But when our expectations are delayed for a long time, we can experience disappointment, disillusionment, and, loss, and a loss of hope. In some cases, prolonged waiting for what we eagerly desire can become such an affliction to us that it differs very little from a lingering sickness. This scenario is the exact meaning of Solomon's words, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The term deferred in the passage means to put off or drag out as in a long, drawn-out process. Hope deferred can come from many things, such as a prayer of salvation for a loved one that continues unanswered year after year. It can be about an agonizing job search filled with endless interviews and rejections. It can be a long-term battle with a disease or a heartbreaking string of tragedies. As we eagerly hope for something important and it keeps being postponed, the longing we feel can make our hearts sick. The word heart in the passage embodies not only the mental or emotional core, but the whole inward person. If something makes the heart sick, it causes despair and affliction. One translation renders the verse like this. When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. Hope deferred can lead to depression and anxiety and actual physical sickness. When we wait for a good thing for so long that the desire and expectation turns to hopelessness, we can even become spiritually dried up. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When hope deferred makes your heart sick, look to Jesus Christ for a hope that will not fail you. Now I want to go to a text in the book of Acts to speak the possibility to the possibilities of hope and the value of having it and the great loss of losing it. 
to show it's your hope in Christ that carries you through the toughest of times. It's believing his promises will come true. And we're going to visit a time in Apostle Paul's life on one of his many journeys. How many know Paul had several journeys? This one being the result of his former journeys that now leads him to imprisonment and many trials to follow. We'll use this passage to find out how to have hope when things appear to be hopeless and the importance of hanging on to hope in the toughest of times. Have any of you ever survived anything that at one point seemed hopeless? Wasn't sure you was going to make it, but you did. And you know, it was only by the grace of God that you did. Something unpleasant appeared to never going to be over, never going to come, come through, never going to end up, never going to change. Have you ever given up hope when you just decided to give up, throwing the towel that hope showed up and didn't give up on you? It pulled you back up, prompting you to try again, to get back in the game, to keep going forward onto your journey, to your purpose. When Lazarus died after being dead for four days, hope showed up. When everybody else had given up and said, Lazarus, come forth, and it lifted him back up and prompted him to get back in the game, to go forward and to fulfill his purpose. I'm here to tell you, if you put your hope in Christ and not in man, he will never fail you. I'm here to tell you that no matter what comes your way, hell or high water, he's got you, he's for you, and he'll come through for you. Psalms 118.8, Solomon said, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in the man. Lord, I feel like something special is going to happen for someone tonight. And I've been sent as a messenger to tell somebody, God said, don't give up yet. Hope is on the way. The promises he gave you are still true. And to tell another, you gave up too soon. Yes, it got hard. It was a tough season, but you didn't understand it had purpose. And to tell another, you got to find hope if you're ever going to survive what you're going through. And tonight, all y'all can find hope because hope is here. I dare someone to take out their cell phone right now, post on Facebook, hope is here. Go ahead. Type, hope is here at the Palace of Praise, and you should be here too. Why not? We post everything else on Facebook, but it's time to use it for God's glory instead of for just spreading gossip and despair. If we spread the gospel on social media as much as we do the gossip, the whole world would have heard of Jesus by now. Now, let me get off my Facebook rant. The book of Acts is a very powerful book. Let me begin for a moment in Acts 13, and this is concerning Paul's life. It starts out by reading, now in the church... That was at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers. Then it lists them all. And among the list were Barnabas and Paul. Verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, which is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So they laid hands on them and sent them away. This being Paul's first missionary journey. I'm going to briefly mention a few, thought, few things, though, that are significant that Paul experienced on his journeys. In chapter 13 on the island Paphos, through Paul, God struck a sorcerer blind. They went to Antioch and preached and was expelled from the region. In chapter 14, they went to Iconium, preached in the synagogue. A great multitude of Jews and Greeks were converted, making many Jews and Gentiles wanted to stone them. So they fled to Lystra, where Paul laid hands on a crippled man who was healed. They were stirring up a hornet's nest. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium went and stoned Paul, dragged him out of their city, supposing him to be dead. But in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas part ways over a 
dispute. Then in chapter 16, Paul and Silas were cast into prison for casting a demon out of a slave girl and for their teachings. They were beaten severely before being in prison. In prison, God sends an earthquake, freeing him from prison, but not before saving the household of the jailer. In 17, Paul goes to Thessalonica. Once again, infuriating the Jews to the point they went looking for them. Paul fled to Berea. The Jews chased him there, and then Paul fled to Athens, preaching the resurrection. Then in 18, he goes to Corinth, working as a tent maker. And the Jews rose up against him, so he went to Ephesus to preach to the Jews. Then in chapter 21, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he's arrested and beaten. In chapter 23, Jews conspire to kill Paul, and Paul is protected. I think you see, and I wanted you to see in Paul's journeys, it was one trial after another. So I could say to you, find it not strange this fiery trial you're going through as though some strange thing has happened to you. If serving God for Paul was full of trials, why would it not be for you too? Then we get to chapter 27. After being arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel, Paul is sent to Rome to appeal to Caesar, which would lead Paul to getting to preach in Rome as God had promised he would. It's amazing sometimes the adversity it takes to get us to where God wants us. Upon boarding the ship, Paul warns them it's too dangerous to sail because of the weather, but they do it anyway. And as Paul had warned, they become caught in a hurricane. The force of the storm literally destroys the ship, leading them to, to run aground while the ship fell apart, and they had to jump off into the water to survive, leading Paul to become shipwrecked now on an unknown island with the 276 people who also survived. They were on an island. They called it Malta. Here was Paul, who was supposed to go to Rome as God had promised him. But now he's shipwrecked on an island called Malta. Can anything else go wrong in his life? Have you ever been there? Is all hope gone? I mean, God gave him a promise. He was to go to Rome. Well, let's see. Upon them jumping off the ship into the water, swimming to the unknown shore, when they come to the shore, the Bible says the islanders were kind to them. They showed all 276 of them unusual kindness, it says. They immediately made them a fire and made them feel welcome. It says because of the rain that was falling and the cold they were having to endure. Remember, it's a bad storm. In Acts 28, verse 3, it says, Paul wanting to do his part to help decides to help with the fire. He gathers a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Then it says a viper, a snake, a very poisonous snake. Because of the heat of the fire, it comes out of the fire and it's fastened on his hand. And apparently it was in the brush where Paul gathered. Some say the snake was, was known as a leopard snake because of how it fastens to you. It doesn't just bite and let go. It's fastened to you as its jaws keep pumping venom into you. Let's pause for a moment. And go back and let me quickly recap all Paul's been through thus far. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, been beaten time and time again. He's ran out of city after city. The Jews conspired to kill him. He's arrested in Jerusalem, hated by many of the Jews, shipwrecked as a result of them not listening to him, resulting in him now being on an island called Malta, stuck in the rain and the cold in an unknown place with unknown people when he should be in Rome. And just when he thinks at least I'm in a safe place, he gets struck by a snake that could kill him. This is almost comical unless you've been in seasons of your life just like this. Just when you thought the fight, the struggle was over, you can breathe again. Here comes something else. I know my life is on the list. I've been there. Where it's one thing after another causing you to constantly ask what's next. And even finding yourself bracing for the what's next. Causing you to decide to say, I give up. What's the use? I'm not going to get there. I'm not ever going to make it. It's never going to stop. All hope for things ever changing are gone. 
You become hopeless. Your hope tank becomes empty, and you can't afford to fill it back up. It hurts so much. Listen to me now. I'm fixing to say some things that need to be said about these seasons in our lives. And I call them seasons because they aren't going to last. God has promised that we'll not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Galatians 6 and 9. These seasons came to be long, but they do change in time. In all this stuff can happen to a man like Paul, why do we think we're to be exempt and should be? Hey, if you're going to serve God, you got to count your cost. It's no secret there will be a cost. Jesus said it would cost us. So let's hear the rest of the story to see if we can learn anything about being in Malta. We've all been in Malta. Watch and see. Here is Paul simply trying to help them build a fire. And this viper snake pops out of the fire and it bites him. Not only bites him, but fastens himself to him. That's what the enemy does. He wants to fasten himself to you. That's the kind of snake he is. He wants to poison your life and attempt to destroy you. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy you. So here's Paul on an island called Malta, a place he's never planned to go in his whole life. And the Bible says the snake fastens himself to his hand. He doesn't just bite him and let go. No, he fastens himself to his hand. He's out to kill him. While all these people are standing around watching this happen. Can I tell you, every time you're going through something, people are standing around watching you go through what you're going through. Why? To see your response. To see if you're going to make it, man or woman of God. To see if it's going to take you out. Are you going to fall apart? Are you going to quit? Are you going to just give up? Are you going to depart from the faith? you got to be careful with the people around you. Because when you're going through something, there are those who always assign a reason to why you're going through what you're going through. They reason. That's because of what you did or didn't do. This is happening to you. Am I right? They may not say it to you, but you know they think it. Well, if I was her husband, I'd have left her too. What kind of sin has he got in his life? What did she do wrong this time? I mean, for him to have that much trouble, he needs to get right with God. She's, she better find herself an altar and repent. They always think the worst, like they did about the crippled boy in John 9 and 2, who, who sinned, his mother or his father. Still happens today. I've seen him at the altar there the last three weeks in a row. Man, his life must be messed up. What's he struggling with? What's he involved with that he shouldn't be? I bet it is. I bet she, people always having negative assumptions. They think bad things are happening to you because of what you did. If that's you, your Bible reading assignment this week is to read the book of Job and to repent. These islanders are watching this man named Paul who they don't even know his name yet, who came walking out of the sea, claiming to be a preacher with a snake now fastened to his hand. They're now wondering, if he be a man of God, then where is God's protection that should be on his life? Has the devil attacked any of you lately, asking you the same thing? Where's your God at now? Trying to convince you if you were really a Christian, then why are you going through what you're going through? If you really had a loving God, shouldn't he have protected you from what you're going through? Come on, be honest. When these people seen Paul, this man of God, standing there with a snake, a poisonous one at that, attached to his hand, they begin to draw their conclusions that he must have done something wrong. 
Because look at what they began to think in verse 4. It says, when the natives saw the creature, the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer who escaped from the sea and justice will not allow him to live. And in other words, he's a murderer getting what he deserves. That's why the snake's going to kill him. In their minds, this was nothing but justice taking place in Paul's life. Paul, knowing they were looking and watching him, how he would respond, verse 5 says, he shook off the snake and suffered no harm. Much to everyone's surprise, they'd never seen anyone do this. Look at Paul's response because it's important to see. He didn't say a word. He didn't try to convince them God was with him. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't go on Facebook and write a response to their actions against him. He didn't attack them. Watch what Paul did. It's what you have to learn to do too. When you make it through the storm, and hell comes against you again and again and again when everybody's talking about you, when it looks like you're done, when it looks like there's no way you're going to survive this time, you got to do what Paul did. You got to shake it off. Shake it off. You have to shake it off. Tell somebody, shake it off. You got to shake it off right now while skeptics are standing around watching you. They're dissecting your response while religious folks are doubting you. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? You don't need the approval of the island committee to prove that God is with you. What Paul knew that they don't, didn't know was Paul had a promise from God that he was going to Rome, so he knew he couldn't say couldn't. He knew he couldn't die on this island. He may have not known how or he may not know when, but he knew the God that had brought him this far and that never failed him yet was going to make a way when there seemed to be no way. His hope was in the God who promised to take him all the way. And he looked at this moment was just another opportunity for him to prove that God was on his side, regardless of what people think. You see, because Paul already knew he would never leave him or forsake him. He already knew, I'm made more than a conqueror. He already knew that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. He already knew the greatest he is me than he is in the world. Paul already knew, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up service. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Paul already knew that if God said it, it was done. He already knew that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul knew he had a promise and a purpose for going to Rome. And if it had not been for the Lord on his side, he never would have made it this far. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but my God said he shall deliver you from them all. So if I'm going to Rome, I can't die in Malta. So when the snake fell off into the fire and he didn't die, it was no surprise to him. Because he knew it had to happen. I want you to say that. It had to happen. There are things in your life you've been through, you got to realize it had to happen. And you had to get through it. You had to make it. You had to hold on. You had to go through it. Because you have a promise. If God said you will see it, you will. If God said you'll make it, you will. If God said he'll save him, he will. If God said he'll heal her, he will. Our God is a God who cannot lie. If he says he's coming back and he did, so he will. If he said in the last days perilous times will come and he did, so they will. If he said the same power that rose Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead, he said it and so it will. 
If he said the latter days will be greater than the former, and he did, so they will be. Come on, we got to stand on what his word says. Because you will not make it in these last days if you don't. Before every promise God makes, there's this little powerful two-letter word, if. It makes his promises conditional. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I promise I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. If is one of the most powerful words in the Bible used over 100 times because it speaks directly to our responsibility to God. If you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you say to this mountain, remove hence to the yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. God will do his part if we will do our part. If Paul at any part wanted to quit, he could have. But God don't quit on you. He never sees you as hopeless. But how do you see him is very important. For everybody who's been wondering why, why am I going through this? You've been so focused on the why so much, yet while you're seeking your time, excuse me, but while you're spending your time seeking a reason, God is trying to give you a revelation, and you're missing it. Now, for those of you who knew Thelma McWilliams, she was a prayer warrior in this church. She taught me a lot by watching how she went through so many things. She, like Paul, just shook them off. She didn't murmur. She didn't complain. She didn't focus always on the why. She shared with me that she learned something about God with every trial that she went through. And I will never forget the revelation she shared with me. She was going to go to the hospital one time for surgery. And she said to me, I don't know what God's up to for me to be going to the hospital to have to have this surgery, but I'll know when I get there. She believed in everything she went through was for a purpose. And it was when she went for the surgery, she ended up leading the lady in the room beside her to the Lord. She always believed that God had a purpose tied to everything she went through. And she was always looking for it more than looking for why. Knowing why doesn't always help, folks. If you hurt your arm and extremely hurtful and you want to know why, I understand. So you go to the doctor and you get an x-ray. And he says, the reason your arm's hurting is because you broke it. So now you know why. But let me ask you something. Just because you know why it's hurting, does it quit hurting? No. You still got to go through it no matter how much it hurts. Believing it'll get better in due time. God don't want just to give, get you to get a revelation. He wants everybody watching you to get a revelation from how you go through what you're going through. When you're going through the tough seasons, it's an opportunity to express your faith in Christ like never before. It's an opportunity to prove you trust him. So you see, how you respond to what you're going through affects others. When they see you go through it and make it, it speaks to them, I can too. When they see you're still praising God, knowing what you're going through, then they say, I can too. When they see how you didn't give up considering what you're going through, they won't either. When they see you shake off one thing after another, never departing from your faith, they too desire that kind of faith. Faith speaks louder than words. Isn't that what we say? Action speaks louder than words. A picture's worth a thousand words. When you're living by faith and you're walking by faith and you're speaking by faith, they see Christ in you. Because they know you couldn't do this on your own without there being something in you that's driving you. 
They know you're hurt. They know you're scared. They know you're sick. They know you're tired, and rightfully so, but they know you refuse to give up, and as a result, they see you live. And it gives you a chance to show them the one that lives inside of you, to prove because he lives, I can face tomorrow, that because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know who holds a future, and life is worth a living just because he lives. Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness? Here's a good place to take a praise break. I need somebody who's stuck in a bad situation. Stand up and start doing this. Shake this thing off. Come on. Is anybody in here going through anything tonight? Then you need to stand up. There's one. Shake it off, Jeff. Shake that thing off. Shake it off. I come to tell you you're going to make it. I come to tell you this too shall pass. God wants everybody around you to see you shake it off. God wants everybody to see you that, that though he slay you, you will trust him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Faith doesn't prevent me from getting bit like Paul. Faith doesn't prevent me from being shipwrecked. Faith doesn't prevent me from being in prison for my faith. Faith doesn't stop me from going through anything, but it's faith that takes me through everything. It's what gives me hope in my hopeless times. Now, what I loved about this story, what Paul did by shaking the snake off is that people stood back to see what Paul was going to do next. That's what people do. They were shocked because they expected him to swell up. And can I tell you today, the world is watching the church and they're expecting us to fail? That they're expecting you to give up when times get hard? They're expecting you to go back into the world? They're expecting you to fail again? They couldn't make it, so how can you? I tell you how, because you got something they ain't got. There's people who thought, I'll, I'll give them 30 days. They'll be back in jail. I'll give her two weeks. She'll be back with that joker. I'll give them a month, and when they get out of rehab, they'll be right back on the dope. But look how you are. Here you are in church, saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost, worshiping and praising God, and you ain't going back. Yes, I got bit by the snake, but devil, you should have killed me while you had a chance because you got a problem now because when you bite me, I bite back because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot cross the bloodline. I've gone too far to turn back now because of what I got, they ain't got. What have I got? I got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I got a good, good father, someone who'll never leave me, someone who'll never forsake me. I got me a new man who loves me. I got me a new song, Jesus, the lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You're taking me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock, and now I know I love you. I need you, and I will worship you till the very end. Look at you now. Look at what God has done. Somebody in this place needs to praise him. Come on. So here they stand, waiting to see what's going to happen next. Verse 6 says, they expected him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. People always expect the worst for you. You know the old saying, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But after they looked a long time, the Bible says they looked for a long time. They had watched him for a while, how he's responding to his troubles. Isn't that what people still do today? Just wait to see what you're going through, if it's going to kill you, take you out, or destroy you. Because they know what you're going through has the potential to do that. They hear you're going through something. They watch how you're going to respond. Are you going to fight or flight? 
But after they've looked for a long time and they saw no change in him, that he didn't run away, that he didn't die, that he didn't blame anyone, that he wasn't angry, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Can you believe this? Just like folks. One minute he was a murderer. The next minute he's a God. One minute Hosanna. One minute crucify him. That's what people do. Your response causes them to form an opinion of you. If every time something happens to you and you fall apart and you lose your faith and don't come back to church till it's over, not only affects their opinion of you, but of your faith. But every time you go through something and they see you shake it off and you stand strong, it not only affects their opinion of you, but of the God you serve. When you shake it off, it causes them to believe by faith like you. If God can do it for you, he can do it for me. If no weapon formed against you can't prosper against you, it can't prosper against me. If you can be like a tree planted by a water, so can I too. Your tenacious faith produces faith in those who are watching you. You say you have faith, show it. It doesn't mean you won't hurt. It doesn't mean you won't cry about it or have bad days. It means though he slay me, I will trust him. Hallelujah. Get this. This all happens in Malta, a place he never intentionally meant to be. Have you ever ended up in a place in your life you never intended to be? Come on. We all have. At some point in our lives, been led astray and become stuck for a season. We've all been to a Malta season in our lives. And when you find yourself stuck in a season of your life, of being somewhere you never wanted to be, circumstances led you there. Life in itself has a way of taking you there. How many of you can testify to that? To testify to saying, I never dreamed I would have. I wasn't trying to. It happened so quickly. I never thought I'd become addicted. I wasn't planning on doing it. Then you got stuck in a place in Malta. And when you end up in Malta, you got a choice to make, like Paul did. Either you die in Malta or you survive Malta. It wasn't Paul's decision to go to Malta, but he made a decision about what to do while he was there. And you got a decision to make what you're going to do while you're in the place that you're in. He can just sit and wait for a day for an opportunity to someday maybe get off the island. Or he thought, well, I can do what I did in Jerusalem. After people watched him get bit by a viper and survive and he didn't die. Word spread throughout the island that Paul was a god. And it just so happened. I hear that so many times. When God does so many things. And we use that phrase. And it just so happened. It just so happened the leading citizen of that island named Publius. Wanted to see him and meet this man who survived the snake bite. You see, a lot of opportunities in your life are the byproducts of the adversity that you go through. Man, if you could just get that right there. Can I say it again? A lot of opportunities in your life are the byproducts of the adversity you go through. Could it be what he went through has a greater purpose? That this place he is in is actually a mission from God? I bet not too many people have that perspective when you're in Malta. That God had a plan all along, and when you thought it was all a plot to destroy you, you thought it was all about you, 
You never considered what you're going through God was going to use to help someone else through you? And because of how you responded to your adversity, God can use it to help someone else now. Watch how God moves. Paul was invited to the home of the leader because of how he stood up through his trial. Too many keep praying for opportunities, but you're not willing to stand up under your trials. How are you going to help someone overcome if you've never overcome anything yourself? Never realizing that what you went through, it had to happen for you to get the opportunity that you desired. I want you to say it again. It had to happen. Say it again. The adversity wasn't for the purpose of destroying you. It was for the purpose to strengthen you, to mature you, to prepare you for the opportunity that lies before you. Verse 7 says, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. I'm sure Paul and his gang thought, this is nice. But at one point, Paul becomes aware Publius has a problem. And Publius' problem is about to become Paul's opportunity. Paul, Publius' problem was, according to verse 8, was his father was a sick in bed with a fever and this dysentery. When Paul finds out about it, he goes to see his sick father. Now, the way I see it, maybe I might be too imaginative right here, but I see it like this. He noticed Publius continually going in and out of a room, and every time the door opened, he hears moaning and groaning in the back room. To the point, Paul inquires, who is that? Publius says, it's my father. Paul asks, what's wrong with him? Publius, he's very sick, and there's nothing we can do for him. I can't help but think, maybe at this point, Paul finally realizes, now I know why I ended up here. There was a reason for my adversity. There was a reason the storm came. There was a reason that the boat fell apart. There was a reason I got snake bit and, bit and lived. There was a reason I'm in Malta. It wasn't my ideal. It was God's ideal. And sometimes God has to use adversity to get us to go where we wouldn't go on our own, to do things we wouldn't do on our own, to move us. Paul realizes without all of what he went through, he wouldn't have this opportunity standing before him. I can almost see Paul smiling. Paul asks, may I see him? Publius, sure. And the Bible says, when Paul went in, he prayed for him. And after he laid hands on him and prayed for him, I want you to say it again. It had to happen. It had to happen. After he laid his hands on him and prayed, God healed him. It had to happen. God healed him. It had to happen, which was a miracle all on its own. But what made it even more amazing to me was when I realized that the same hand he laid on his father that, was the, that brought the healing that came through him was the same hand three days ago that a snake was attached to. Don't you see what that implies? That what you went through that didn't kill you can now be used for God's glory. It wasn't meant to kill you, but to make you stronger, to prepare you for the opportunities that lie before you. Somebody right now ought to start praising God for everything you've been through and everything you're going through. Because it's made you a better you. And God's going to use everything you've been through that didn't kill you for his glory. And people who have been watching you have a much greater faith because of you. Seeing you going through what you're going through and you're still here. 
You're still worshiping. You're still praising. I'm here to tell everyone, hope is in this place. So therefore, there is an opportunity for you to be healed. There's an opportunity for you to be delivered. There's an opportunity for you to be set free. You're not here by mistake. It could be even the adversity got you here tonight. Now you must decide why you're here. Are you going to just recite? Are you going to get up tonight out of your seat and come and get what God's got for you here tonight? Are you going to take advantage of this opportunity to be in the presence of God? And give a revelation of who God is. Are you going to come and receive hope? Because hope is here. You can't keep the snake from biting you. You just got to be willing to bite back. The the same hand that the snake bit is the same hand that the healing came from. And because of how Paul responded to his Malta, verse 9 says, after he healed his father, word went out. Get this. The result of those The rest of the island who had diseases also came to Paul and were all healed. Publius turned his house into a church building overnight. It had to happen. It doesn't matter what Paul went through. It had to happen for this to happen. If you want to see the rest of your family healed, you want to see the rest of your family delivered, you want to see the rest of your family saved, this is going to be how you respond to your Malta season. So can it be for you too? don't miss out on the opportunity you done suffer for. Look around you and see the purpose. I truly believe that every affliction that a Christian suffers has a purpose. If it's not for you, Then it's for those around you. My daddy's sickness and my daddy's suffering played a big part of me giving my life to God. And as a result, I'm standing here today preaching the gospel to you. It had to happen. I've been through some tough stuff. I've been to Malta, and so have you. It had to happen for this to happen tonight. Come on, somebody. If my musicians would go ahead and come, I'm going to wrap this up here in just a minute. When Paul was going through the storm, Paul said, we must have run aground on some island. Paul thought Malta needed him, but it turns out Malta needed Paul. I said it backwards. Paul thought he needed Malta, but it turns out Malta needed Paul. So it had to happen. Some of you have been through a lot of things, one thing after another. You don't like what you're going through. You're in Malta. I say look for the opportunity to release. Paul wasn't worried about dying from the snake because he had a promise from God. He was going to Rome. He had a promise. There was another gentleman who had a promise, John the Revelator. He had a promise. And when he faced his greatest sufferings, they were persecuting the Christians. They were rounding them up. And they was putting them in boiling pots and boiling them. Josephus wrote about John the Revelator's life and his experience and his suffering. It said they walked him up these stairs and walked him out to the end of the plank. And they said, John, all you got to do is deny Christ and we'll turn you loose. It's all you got to do. John says, I can't. He said, yes, you can. If you don't, we're going to throw you in that boiling pot of water and you're going to boil to death. He said, but I can't. What do you mean you can't? He said, you just don't understand. God gave me a promise. He said, before I die, I will see him face to face. 
So you believe no matter what you do to me, in the meantime, what are the meantimes? It's just what it says. Take it literally. It's a meantime. John believed because of his promise. You can't kill me. I may not understand it, but because most likely anyone who else has gone through this and been thrown in that water, I've seen them, they died. But I'm going to believe it doesn't have to happen to me. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to you now. Just because daddy died of it don't mean you got to die of it. So when he refused, they boiled him, threw him into hot water, and he would not die. They kept watching and waiting for him to die. He'd say he'd flop around. He looked like a porpoise. Everything burned off of him to the point finally they couldn't take it. And they said, get him out of there now. So they take him out and they take him to an island called Patmos. So here he lays, John, burnt beyond recognition. Burnt and suffering on an island, left to die. And then while he's laying there, he hears a voice, John, John, it's me. Is that you, Lord? Yes. Let's go write the book of Revelations. Just like he promised before he died, he seen Jesus face to face. And it was that promise that got him through the toughest times of his life. So what John went through had to happen for the opportunity for him to see Christ face to face. It's hard to make sense of what's going on in the world right now, going through so many things in life, flooded with trials. And many of us begin to ask why. God, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Through this passage in Acts 27 and chapter 28, Paul shows us what it looks like to move forward in moments where it doesn't make sense. God doesn't tell Paul a whole series of explanations for why he's on Malta, why he faced a shipwreck, why he was bitten by a snake. He doesn't give him a reason. He gives him a revelation. Since Paul had already received the revelation that God wanted him to go to Rome, he knew a shipwreck and a snake bite can't stop him. Would you stand with me? you got to learn to operate by revelation in your own life and find the opportunity God is waiting for you on the other side of your trial. So many people are looking for hope of what seems to be a hopeless time in their life. But I've come to declare to you and everyone listening, hope is here. It's not a place. It's not a building. It's found in Jesus Christ. And his presence is in this place. I know there's so much stuff going in our world today. And some of you are going through trials, and some of you it's one night after another. And you're often wondering why and what's going on. Can I tell you it's for a purpose? Can I tell you it might be a mission from God? Can I tell you it's making you stronger? Can I tell you it's going to make you a better you? Can I tell you it's got a purpose, and maybe it's not for you, it might be for somebody else? Can I tell you that people are watching you, seeing how you're going to respond, what you're going to do what you're, with what you're going through? And can I tell you the greatest thing to do when you're in those places? Look at what you're going through as an opportunity for you to show your faith like never before. Look at it as an opportunity to stand up and declare, though he slay me, I will trust him. Hope is what our nation needs. Jesus is what our nation needs. 
Hope is what you need. So I'm going to open the altars now. I'm going to have them sing in just a moment. If you're here tonight, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever, it doesn't matter, but whatever it is, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar before hope, because hope is here, and hope will help you in your times of trouble. If you guys start singing, if you're here tonight, you say, Randy, I need to, I need to come. I'm in a place. I didn't intend to be there, but I'm there. I want you to come and let God begin to minister to you. As he's coming, he's a prayer warrior.